that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. A few years back, I was in a communications workshop, and one of the people training us turned out to be an actor, and I recognised him from the TV show The Bill. Does anyone remember that show back in the 90s? And in the show, he was a detective inspector, and he was interviewing suspects. And in all those kind of shows where you get that wrestle with truth and guilt, denial and honesty. And our verses this morning, well, they deal with issue of sin and its recognition and forgiveness. When we're confronted with our sin, what do we do with it? Well, the options, in fact, are binary. There's either some kind of denial, the kind of squirming in the interview room with the DI over the table, or there's honesty. And in our verses this morning, John, one of the apostles, one of the eyewitnesses who heard, who saw, who looked upon, who touched the risen Lord Jesus, he says, when it comes to sin, well, denial is to walk in darkness, and it fails to recognize the work of Jesus on the cross. Instead, John says, the gospel which Jesus proclaimed gives a real answer when we are confronted with our sin. It's an honest answer. It has integrity and it gives us assurance of eternal life. And that assurance is why John is writing this letter. If you flick over a couple of pages to page 1230, the end of the letter, page 1230 and chapter 5, verse 13. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. 
This is a letter to reassure a church. It's a letter to reassure a group of Christians, people like us, that they really do have eternal life. And he needs to write it because this church has been unsettled, because people have been leaving. If you go back a page to chapter 2, that's one, page 1228, chapter 2, and the bottom left there, verse 19. John says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But when they went out, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. There's a group of people who've departed. They've departed from the church and they've departed from the apostles' teaching. And they seem to be claiming, though, that they are the real thing. And they're very confident about their move. And so you can imagine the church, those left behind, feeling really unsettled. Maybe that's something you've experienced. There's, of course, real relational pain and loss. And then there are the questions. Well, how can we be sure that they're not right? John is writing to reassure us. The departed, the ones who've left, they're not the real thing. Those who stayed, his readers... They really are. It's often been suggested that John's method of assuring his readers is to give them a series of tests, the sin test, the love test, and the view of Jesus test. And then you read through it, and you sort of tick yourself off against the tests. But the trouble is, when we read 1 John that way, we find at various points, it leaves us, we're constantly trying to work out where the pass mark is. It leaves us actually not very assured But a number have been suggesting, and I'm persuaded by this, that John is not so much about setting out tests for believers. In fact, it's more the opposite. He's giving Christians criteria to evaluate and then expose the false claims of the departed. If you like, the tests are to show that the departed are not the real thing, so that we're not unsettled by them. And at the same time, those same words, well, they act to reassure the church who are simply holding on to the apostolic message, the word that Jesus proclaimed, that they're in the right, that they're certain of eternal life. And so in our verses this morning, John addresses the issue of sin and the cross to reassure the church. The departed ones, well, they're walking in darkness. You're walking in the light. And so we have three points this morning lit up. Walking in the light means sin is recognized. Fessed up. Walking in the light means sin is confessed and scrubbed up. Walking in the light means we are cleansed. And we're going to pick up from verse 5. Verse 5, John writes, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. It's an emphatic message. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Through the Bible where God is described as light, it speaks of his absolute purity, his holiness, his goodness. No darkness at all. And the point here is that light and darkness, well, they cannot mix. They're mutually exclusive. Where one is, the other is not. A couple of years ago, I bought myself an inspection lamp. And it's great for jobs in the dark. I keep it in the car just in case we get stuck somewhere and it's really dark. 
And when you switch it on, you get 1100 lumen of bright light and darkness is gone. There is light. It's displaced the darkness. Or perhaps you've been on a cave tour and when you've got really deep inside, the tour guide says, okay, everyone, now switch off your lights. And it's pitch black, darkness, light is gone. Where darkness is, light is not. Where light is, darkness is not. You can't have light and dark in the same place. And so John says, verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him, that's with God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. To claim fellowship with God who's light whilst walking in the darkness is delusional. God is light and there's no darkness in him at all. And so those in darkness cannot have relationship with him. But the departed seem to be claiming they know God. And so John says, well, that kind of claim is a lie. And here we see John in action. He's exposing the false message of the departed and he's reassuring those who remain. And he does it with a real and deliberate and effective structure to his words. And I mention this just because I was pointed to a great quote this week um, by someone commenting on the structure of 1 John. And they described the letter as having an absolute indifference to a strictly logical and harmoniously ascending development of ideas. Well, if you can get your head around that, I think what he's saying is he thinks it's an incoherent muddle. Well, others have suggested that John's lack of apparent structure is because John was suffering from, quote, the infirmity of old age, which just seems a little bit prejudiced. It gets suggested that this letter doesn't have much of a structure. I hope that as we work through, we'll see that it really does. John is writing really deliberately. He's writing really carefully. And we see that in front of us this morning. Did you see three times in the passage, John says, if we say, verse six, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse eight, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The we that he speaks of here, well, it could be pretty general as if anyone were to say. But in the verses we had read to us in 1 through 5, we are speaking of the apostles. And so I wonder if John is saying something more like this, as if to say, if anyone says this, even if I say it, even if an apostle says it, if anyone else has gone out and they're saying things like this, well, don't be deceived. These are the words of those walking in the darkness. Perhaps these are the slogans on the lips of the departed. And they're characterized by lies and self-deception and misrepresentation of God. But then John gives us a contrast all the way through. Verse 7, verse 9, the beginning of chapter 2, they give huge reassurance because in fact what they do is they describe the normal Christian life. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then chapter 2, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. 
One scholar, Robert Law, describes these moments as like a spiral staircase ascending up the point, developing it step by step. We might think of it like examining a diamond from all the different angles. Or maybe coming and looking at the fake and the real one and examining them both from 360 degrees. Or perhaps we think of it like listening to music as the layers build and they complement the themes. We could say it's the Bohemian Rhapsody of epistles. Well, verse 6 again. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. John wants us to understand there'll be some who move away from the apostle's word and yet still claim fellowship with God. But it's a lie. The claim is false. Darkness cannot coexist with light. And so John says, don't be unsettled by them. Instead, be reassured because you walk in the light. Verse seven, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And it's really key to grasp what walking in the light means because walking in the light here is not about rating our moral performance day in, day out and sort of asking ourselves the question at the end of the day, well, did I live well enough today to say I walked in the light? That's not what walking in the light means here. Walking in the light is to recognize our sin as we encounter God who is light and then to acknowledge our need for cleansing. It is, if you like, to be lit up, to see reality, to be exposed. If you've been on a motorway and they're doing nighttime traffic roadworks, they have those huge lights that just light the whole thing up like day and the engineers can keep going. Or if you watch a sports film, there's usually a scene the night before the big game when they kind of go into the stadium in the dark to kind of have a pep talk and then someone pulls the lever and the lights light up the stadium. To walk in the light is to have the reality of our sin exposed. To recognize our sin before God who is light. To be honest about it. And then to look to the blood of Jesus for cleansing. Think of Peter in Luke's gospel. Face to face with Jesus after this miraculous catch of fish, what does he say? Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. We read from Isaiah 6 earlier. As Isaiah sees the vision of God's holiness and glory, he says, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. John himself, who wrote this letter, also wrote the book of Revelation, and there he recalls a vision of Jesus shining like the sun and says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Lit up. And we said the words together from John 3 earlier. Let me read them to us again. And they make the same point. John 3, verse 19. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it might be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. To walk in darkness is to hate light. To walk in the light is to recognize our sin and then to seek cleansing through Jesus. And so then to walk in the light is to have a relationship with God. We are clean. 
Verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, it speaks of uninhibited relationship with God, in the light, with the light, part of the family of light and life. And so John says, don't be unsettled by the words of the departed. You are walking in the light. You have acknowledged your sin. You have looked to Jesus' blood for cleansing. And so you have fellowship with God and with one another, eternal life. You are lit up. And secondly, fessed up. Walking in the light means sin is confessed. Sin at its heart is a rebellion against God. If you ask the Sunday school children when they come back to explain sin to you, it's quite likely they'll give you an acronym. S stands for shove off God. I stands for I'm in charge. N stands for no to your ways. The great 20th century Christian writer and church leader John Stott put it like this. The essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. Man claims prerogatives that belong to God alone. Sin is to put the crown on our own head and to sideline God. And it works out in lives of opposition to his good word and his good rule. And it works out in damage and guilt and shame. But to refuse to acknowledge it, well, that is to walk in darkness. It is the great self-deception. We see that in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. It seems the departed are claiming they're pure, but they're denying their behavior is sin. Think of the Pharisees opposing God, opposing Jesus, refusing to listen to him, and yet claiming sinless purity. Or think of the progressive movements in the church today where, God's, where what God's word clearly calls sin is now called good. Or think of the office, the school gate, the sports team, the school common room, If we suggest there that sin might be a great problem, well, there's often pushback, isn't there? I don't think of myself as a sinner. I find that a bit offensive. Someone said to me recently, and I think very sincerely, they thought speaking of sin was dangerous for mental health. Well, guilt and shame are a very great burden, aren't they? They really are. But to deny our sin, well, that's not the answer. It is uncomfortable to find sin exposed. Imagine sitting in a living room and it's dimly lit and it looks so cozy and it feels really comfy. But then someone turns up the lights and gradually, gradually you see the dirt on the walls start to show, the tears on the carpet, the stains on the ceiling, the scuffs on the furniture, and reality is exposed. In the church offices and crash rooms, we've got new LED lights. They are bright. There is no hiding. Everything is exposed. And for the Christian, this is not something that decreases over the years. In fact, quite the opposite. And many here will know this from personal experience. As a person grows in Christian maturity, listening to God's word day by day, well, actually, we see more of our sin. We make progress in one area, and then the light shines on a new area. And that's a normal, healthy Christian experience. That is walking in the light. It's uncomfortable when sin is exposed. The temptations to run to the darkness, to say we have no sin, but that is self-deception. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
So the answer is not to deny it. It's to walk in the light. It's to fess up. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Walking in the light is to confess our sins to Almighty God. It has, it's real. It has integrity. It's honest. And when we do that, we don't find a sort of stern schoolmaster with his arms folded, but we find one who is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A real solution to guilt and shame. Forgiven. Relationship restored. Sin washed away. Fellowship with God who is light because we are clean. So John says, don't be deceived by those who claim they have no sin. Do you recognize your sin? Do you confess your sin before God? Then you are walking in the light. Confident of eternal life. Lit up. Walking in the light means we recognize our sin. Fessed up. Walking in the light means we confess our sin. And so wonderfully scrubbed up. Walking in the light means we are cleansed. As Paul ascends the spiral staircase, he wants us to have absolute confidence that as we confess our sin in dependence on Jesus, God really will be faithful and just to forgive us. And so verse 10 and the start of chapter 2 give us that final ground for assurance. And the scene is the courtroom. And the question is, who will we plead? Who will we have plead our cause before God who is light? Will we try and be our own defense attorney? Or will we look to Jesus to be our advocate? Verse 10 again exposes the departed. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Some of us might remember the spiky-haired cartoon character, um, yellow cartoon character Bart Simpson. And whenever he was caught doing something red-handed and naughty, he would say, I didn't do it. Well, that is the picture here. A denial of sin. It's to appoint ourselves as our own barrister and to argue our cause and to justify ourselves. And it deceives others and it deceives ourselves. And it calls God a liar because it says his word about us is not true. And so John reassures his hearers, God's word, the word of life, is not in those who claim they have not sinned. Don't be unsettled. Don't listen to them. They're not the real thing. Instead, rest on Jesus, your perfect advocate. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, I think the first part of this verse is really John underlining that none of what he's saying in any way plays down the seriousness of sin. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But what exactly does he mean by that? Well, I think he's saying, don't be like the departed and deny your sin. If we think about what he's just been saying, actually, it will help us to say no to sin, to say no to temptation. Imagine a child who's stolen something from their sibling and you want to help them tell the truth. Well, reassuring them of your love and your acceptance 
It helps them overcome the fear of being honest. And in the same way as those walking in the light, we have assurance that when we're honest about our sin, we acknowledge it before God in his great mercy and grace. We meet forgiveness. We have fellowship. And it helps us to face his sin. And then we fa- when we face it with his help, well, we can say no to it. We can begin to change. Grasping the assurance we have before God through Jesus, well, it means we can do honest business with him. And when we need to, it means we can do honest business with one another. These words help us to say no to sin. And I wonder if John might have even more in mind. He is writing so that we're not unsettled and so that we're not drawn by those who've gone off the departed. I wonder if he's particularly writing these things so we just might be confident to stay where we are and not deny our sin and stand in rebellion against God. Instead to face it and be honest about it. Because we have an advocate who will not fail. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. It's a great title, isn't it? Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the true, the great KC. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is our advocate, without sin, perfect in obedience, purity, love, justice. Jesus who is light and who pleads our cause based on his finished work on the cross. Jesus the righteous, Jesus Christ the righteous, took upon himself all our unrighteousness that we might be forgiven and cleansed. Verse 2, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. How can we be utterly sure that when we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness? Answer, because Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation might not be a familiar word for some of us. It might be a word you've never even heard before. But it's a very special word. It's a brilliant word. And it is speaking of the historic event of Jesus' death on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he was a propitiation for sin. A wrath-satisfying sacrifice. On the cross, Jesus gave his life willingly as a sacrifice which would satisfy the fullness of God's right and just indignation at sin. And God is justly indignant at our sin. Imagine a home where the parents bring up their son or daughter with great love and they care for them beautifully. They give them everything they need, food, clothing, gifts, opportunities, and yet the child ignores them, enjoys their good gifts, but never acknowledges them, refuses to speak to them, behaves as if they don't exist, and then takes all the credit. Might it be reasonable the parents were offended? Wouldn't it be right for them to be justly indignant, angry even at the treatment they've received by one they love? Well, that is how we have treated our maker. That is how we have treated God. And yet in the person of Jesus Christ, the righteous, he stepped into this world and at the cross took upon himself the full force of his just anger at sin, past, present, and future, so that we might be declared forgiven. Justice complete. No offense ignored. 
the cup drained to the very bottom. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness because our advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous, is the propitiation for sin. Well, we are an international group this morning. And John makes it clear that this work of Jesus is not just for the apostles. It's not just for a church here or a church there. It is for anyone in the world who will receive it. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for us only, but also for the sins of the whole world. There is absolute assurance of eternal life for anyone who is lit up, who confesses their sin, because through Jesus, we are cleansed. And so our conclusion is assurance. When people go out from the apostles' word and they do it and it's painful, when we see things in the Church of England where some seem to be departing and claiming great progress and knowledge of God, but they're denying sin, well, it can be unsettling. And John says, don't be deceived, be reassured. You are walking in the light. Those who recognize their sin and confess it to God in dependence on Jesus have eternal life. Or when we feel burdened by guilt and shame, when we're conscious of our sin and we might think to ourselves, well, how can I be really sure of eternal life? Well, we take it to our Heavenly Father in dependence on Jesus and we'll find him just to forgive and to cleanse. We are part of his family. We are walking in the light. And there'll be some here this morning, well, you're looking in on Christian things perhaps. Did you realize this is at the heart of the Christian message? Maybe if you're honest, you see in yourself the tendency to act as your own defense attorney before God. Well, the good news this morning is that real honesty and real integrity doesn't have to end in despair. There's no need for self-deception. Walk into the light. And there you find forgiveness and membership of God's family, certainty of eternal life. And you can do that today. It's as simple as an ABC, to admit your sin before the God who is light, to believe in Jesus Christ the righteous for the, his propitiation for the sins of the whole world, and to confess your sin in dependence on him. Lit up. Fessed up, scrubbed up. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words of reassurance. We thank you for the death of Jesus Christ the righteous on the cross to satisfy your wrath at our sin so we might be forgiven and washed clean. We acknowledge our sin before you and ask for your forgiveness. We thank you that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we thank you that through Jesus, we have fellowship with you, membership in your family, and certainty of eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.